All right. So the title of this week's study is The Responsibilities of Spirit-Led Believers. So we'll be looking at what it practically looks like in an everyday life in our interactions with others if you're being guided by and walking in accordance with the Spirit. So just a short recap, as you may recall last week, Sean was talking about the end of chapter 5. And Sean discussed the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh, and how our flesh and the Spirit are constantly at war with one another. And Sean did a nice diagram. If you were here last week, if you if listened to the podcast, you wouldn't have necessarily seen it, but he had two trees and he talked about the root and the fruit, but the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and how we're constantly in the battle. And one of the key aspects of when you're in the battle is recognizing the very fact that you are in a battle. So knowing that I'm in a spiritual battle is one of the abilities to start recognizing the things that are happening on in your life. But we're not the only one in that battle. So everybody around us in this church body, look to your right or to your left, is also facing a spiritual battle. And so today we'll be jumping into practical ways that manifest itself within the body that we help each other. So I want to read the end of chapter 5, and I have the highlighted portion on there, uh, because it really transitions transit. Oh, man, I can't speak this morning. Transitions us into chapter 6. So it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So he ends chapter 5 with a warning not to be conceited. In other words, proud of ourselves, not walking around acting as though we're the most important, and not provoking others by acting as though we're always right in our opinions or our perceptions. He also is warning us not to be comparing ourselves to other people when he talks about envying. This last verse is what transitions into today's text, which we'll read uh, right now. It's it's 10 verses, starting in chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, and bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, and do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he also will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So today's main idea is that spirit-led living should look like us actively sowing into others. So we're going to break it down into four sections. Um, 
We'll first start out with discussing three specific ways that Paul talks about sowing into others. First, through general restoration of our brothers and sisters in Christ, bearing one another's burdens, and then generously giving. And then we'll end up with discussion about the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. So let's jump in to verse 1 of chapter 6. I'm going to read it again because this is going to be the focus of the next couple minutes. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So Paul's talking about, essentially, spiritual discipline here. He's talking about a situation where a brother or sister is caught up in a sin. He doesn't describe what type of sin here, but we're, we're talking about something that the person has been caught up in that is clearly something that is uh, not pleasing to God. So this gets into the discipline aspect that we've previously discussed in our Healthy Church series, where we discussed what it looks like to lovingly approach and discipline a fellow believer if they fall into sin. Paul discusses how you might gently approach someone who is caught up in sin. But the first qualification here is that you must be spiritual. So he says, those who are spiritual. So he's not saying just anybody. He's talking about those who are actively walking in the gifts of the Spirit. Those who are actively walking and being directed and led by the Spirit are the ones who are called to go and confront and restore their brothers. The word restore here is an interesting word. So the word restore here references uh, something similar to what you would uh, use if you were saying about setting a bone. So you're talking about brokenness. You're talking about something where you're, you're setting a bone to heal uh, a broken bone, almost like a doctor would do if you came in and saw them. They would assist you in trying to restore you back to what it was before you came into that situation where you broke your leg or your arm. So it's important here that when we approach a brother in Christ about sin, we're doing so for the right motives. Remember, the, the, the goal of restoration is to put them back to where they were before, to draw them to repentance, to draw them to be back in a whole relationship with Christ. Remember the words at the end of chapter 5. He talks about conceit. He talks about provoking. He talks about envying. So he's talking about not coming in a sense of pride or I'm right, but he's talking about coming with a humility that your desire is for their betterment, not to prove that you're right or that you're better than them. So this, this verse comes off the heels of chapter 5, verse, uh, at the end of chapter 5. So he clearly is talking about not coming with the wrong heart. So he talks about gentleness in the sense of uh, approaching our brother in gentleness. And if you think about it, the idea here is to approach, again, without pride. So pride can so much inhibit our ability to approach someone in a gentle way. Jesus talked about uh, 
to remove the log in one's eye before you attempt to remove the splinter out of a brother's eye. So if you find a brother who is sinning in some way, the log of pride can prevent you from appropriately addressing what might be even a smaller sin than that pride that, 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 is, that you're having in your heart. So it also doesn't appear as though the idea of restoring your brother is optional, does it? The word here is should. So he's talking about if you are actively walking in the spirit, if you're being spirit-led, your heart's desire should, should, should be to see restoration in your brother. Your heart's desire is to not see a brother who is wandering away from the faith or drifting away from the faith or suffering in a sin and say, well, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy for that. Or I don't care. So if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to want to restore that brother. You're going to want to love them. Uh, because that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. That love, the kindness, the patience is all going to show itself. It's all going to manifest itself by virtue of you seeing that brother and caring for them in a way that results in you attempting to restore them. <clears throat> he ends with a warning and says, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And that could be the pride that I talked about, right? Uh, you can be tempted when you're approaching a brother to sort of do it in a haughty way uh, to, to say, now look at me, I'm, I'm right, I'm righteous, I'm doing really good. Uh, and you approach that person not in a spirit of love, but in, in haughtiness. But I think he's also talking about you have to be careful as a Christian when you approach another brother or sister that's involved in some sin, not to get caught up in that actual sin that they're committing. So, I don't know about you, but have you ever encountered someone who was involved in gossip and you want to approach them about the gossip and you get caught up in the gossip? Isn't that easy? I mean, it happens a lot. So it's, 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 not, it's not uncommon that as you approach someone about gossip, you get caught up in it or you yourself gossip about that person. The other temptation is many times you can get caught up if someone's angry or bitter. When you approach that person and you're discussing that situation, you can sort of take on the emotions that that person's suffering from, and you yourself can be angry and bitter. And there's all sorts of different scenarios I could go through. You know, obviously, if someone's going to the bars all night and, and, and they're engaging in something and you say, you know what, I better go to the bar with them. <laughs> And, and try to restore them. That might be, not be the wisest thing to do, but what I'm getting at is that you watch yourself that as you're approaching them, you're prayerfully prepared for what you're stepping into. Not unlike restoring a brother, which that is a burden that they're, 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 they're uh, incurring at that time, which is the, the burden of, of the sin that's in their life, is where Paul talks about sharing one another's burdens uh, that can't, aren't necessarily sin. They can be other types of burdens. So I'm going to read this part. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So again, if we're walking in the Spirit, we'll have a desire when we see our brother suffering from a, from a heavy burden, that we're going to want to help lift that burden for them. So there's some assumptions here. We all have burdens at one time or another in our life. I don't know about you, but I think we'd all say that we've had heavy burdens that have come upon us. Maybe it's a death of a family member. Maybe it's a uh, loss of a job. It could be a husband or wife who leaves a marriage and the person's left with taking care of the children. It could be your car breaks down. But these are things that suggest that there are times in our lives when the burden's so heavy, we just can't bear it alone. And when we see that, we need to have compassion. We need to have desire to assist that person to share in lifting those burdens. The contrary is also true, too. We have to be willing to let people bear our burdens with us. The temptation many times when we're going through really hard times is to do what? Isolate ourselves. The temptation is to say, I'm going to have to be self-sufficient through this. I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to uh, help others or ask for help from others. And that could be embarrassment, but it also could be pride as well that keeps others from assisting you when you're going through a time of need. The devil would have us isolate ourselves. He wants to keep you in isolation. He doesn't want to have you in community with your fellow believers. He'd prefer us to try to stew on our own problems without help from another person. This call to bear others is not just to pastors. This is to all of us. So Paul, in speaking here, is speaking to the Galatians. He's not speaking to the teachers. He's speaking to the people. But it's a spirit-led life is a result, resulting from a spirit-led life is this desire to reach out across to help someone else who is in need. There's so many things, though, that can hinder us from sharing another person's burdens. So I want to have a discussion about what type of things keep us from reaching out and helping others? Thoughts? Okay. Like fear of inadequacy that I won't be able to meet their need, or you don't feel equipped to meet their need? Selfishness. I didn't hear that. Selfishness. Selfishness. Busy. Too busy. Yep. Sort of goes along with the uh, selfishness, right? That's, that's true. If anybody couldn't hear it, she said it gets really messy. That's right. 
relationships are messy, right? The work of sharing someone's burden is hard and can be emotionally messy. Those are all great. Any other thoughts? Okay. Okay. So it's sort of along those lines, but it's almost a fear that they're not going to accept right. your assistance and you're going to be rejected. You're stepping a boundary. That's good. So Paul talks about Right after he says about bearing one another's burdens, he says, if anyone thinks he is something, he is nothing. He's talking about comparing ourselves to others. He's talking about that conceit and pride that he talked about at the end of chapter 5. So often, we're too busy. So often, what we're doing and taking care of in our own lives, I mean, we live in America, right? We have... We have schedules. We have things to take care of. Everybody here is busy. So he's talking about a situation where our pride doesn't necessarily mean that we're better than other folks, and that's why we don't reach out. But what we're saying is our time and attention to ourselves is more important than our time and attention to others. So I have a quote from C.S. Lewis who I love, because um, I don't know of any other writer that can say something in a way that just really strikes to the heart of a matter. Uh, but he talks about pride. And so I want to read this for us. It's a little bit lengthy, but uh, stay with me here. When Paul talks about, if you think you're something, you're really nothing, C.S. Lewis addresses that. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. That raises a terrible question. How is it that people who are quite obviously eaten up with pride can say they believe in God and appear to themselves very religious? I'm afraid it means that they are worshiping an imaginary God. They theoretically admit themselves to be nothing in the presence of this phantom God, but are really all the time imagining how he approves of them and thinks them far better than ordinary people. That is, they pay a pennyworth of imaginary humility to him and get out of it a pound's worth of pride towards their fellow man. Pride causes us to compare ourselves to others, and for those who need restoration and sharing of burdens, it can keep us from seeing their need or even caring about it because we think we're more important. 
I'm reminded of Luke 18, 11, where it talks about, Jesus talks about the Pharisees. And he says, they'll go out in public and they'll say, thank you, Lord, for not making me like the sinners. Thank you for not making me like uh, those other people who commit evil doing. And they compare themselves. They hold out their works righteousness. And remember what Paul, Paul's been talking to the Galatians all throughout Galatians is this idea of holding yourself up in your works and comparing yourself to others and feeling as though you're better than others. The opposite of pride is following Christ's law, which Paul mentions in this section. So Christ's law is this. In John 13, 34 and 35, he tells us a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you're a Christ follower and you're walking in the Spirit, then you'll love others. If you're a child of God, you will desire to lift others from their burdens. We cannot be focused on the needs of others if we're wallowing in self-pride, our own busy schedules, our self-importance, what's going on in our lives if we don't care about others. Paul tells us to test our own work. So rather than comparing ourselves to others, Paul encourages us to test our own work and don't look at your neighbor's work. Don't look to others' faults as a way to exalt yourself. We can all find somebody who has a problem, and that makes us feel really good if we're honest about it. Sometimes, in our flesh, we can see someone who's struggling, and you say, well, at least I'm not that bad. At least I'm not going through that. Instead of lifting a finger to try to help them and lift that burden, we wallow in the fact that our pride is, well, I'm not that bad. I would submit that if we removed all comparison to others from our life and focused on simply our walk with the Lord and our own sanctification, we will not walk in arrogance, but humility. Paul's talking about we have our own responsibilities before God. We all have our own callings. We all have our uh, own uh, aspects of what the Spirit's calling us to do, and we'll all give an account for what we've been called to do. So we'll bear our own load. There will be no comparison at the time of judgment. You will not be able to say, but I'm, at least I'm not as bad as this person. We will all give our own personal account, right? So we have our own loads that we need to carry. These are different than the heavy burdens he talks about. So when he says load and burden, it's not a conflict. It's not, it's not inconsistent. When he's talking about a load, the Greek word actually is talking about a backpack, whereas the heavy burdens are something you can't live, lift by yourself. So the load that he's referencing here um, in uh, verse 5 is our own individual responsibilities, our own callings before God, our own things God has called us to do that we need to do. And that's different to these heavy burdens that someone can't lift on their own. So he transitions into talking a little bit about ministers. And ministers or pastors are not immune from needing someone to share in their burdens. So the next section is generous giving. And Paul talks about 
uh, in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word, that's us, share all good things with the one who teaches, which would be pastors. So he's, Paul's not talking about the Judaizers here, okay? Uh, Acts 14.23 says that Paul and Barnabas, everywhere they went when they set up their churches, uh, appointed elders uh, in each church, committing them to the Lord and placing their trust in them to teach God's word. He's talking about those who teach the word of God. The Judaizers were teaching a false gospel, but there were people there, there were elders there who were teaching God's word. And Paul is saying they need our support. Now, most commentators, when I looked at this, uh, about what are they talking about uh, sharing all good things, what, what is this referencing? Most commentators talk about material, uh, material things. So uh, I, I think it goes without saying that we have an obligation to support financially those who teach God's Word faithfully. No question about it. But I think it goes beyond that. I think that there's other ways in which we can share all good things and, and the burdens really that ministers carry uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, we can share with them. And we have to keep in mind those kingdom glasses that Sean's talked about before. But the idea of investing in our pastors, investing in our ministers, is for the purpose of the good news being spread to the kingdom. So supporting them, sharing in their burdens, enables them to go out and minister the good news to other people. That's the, the concept behind that, that we need to have a generous heart and, and, and joyfully give. But I want to ask you, what are some other ways that we can share good things with our pastors? Because I think financially is just one aspect. Any thoughts? Emotional support? Okay. Sean, do you have a thought? Emotional support? What other ways? So, just because in the interest of time, I, I, I am going to move forward here, but ministers just thinking about what, I'm not a minister, okay, I, and I teach one time every, I think, five weeks maybe, and I know what time it takes just to prepare for this, but we have pastors and ministers that are committed to preaching the Word on a Wednesday, on Sundays, throughout the week. And that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time focusing on preaching God's Word. So what I wanted us to think about is when Paul talks about restoring our brothers, when he talks about uh, uh, bearing other people's burdens, that's to us. So many times in our, and I think in our minds is, well, that's what we pay pastors to do. That's not what we pay pastors to do. You know, visiting people in the hospital is not a pastor's job. 
We can lift burdens on pastors by visiting people in the hospital. We can lift burdens and share all good things by saying, I'm willing to help out in various aspects of ministry in addition to just financially supporting them. We just need to have the right kingdom mentality. <clears throat> what we invest in, not just financially, but our time, is important. And so Paul moves on from these three things, restoration, burden-bearing, generous giving, and he talks about sowing <clears throat> and reaping. So Paul pauses here after he talks about those three, three things to emphasize a spiritual law. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You will reap what you sow. So if you're sowing to the flesh, don't expect to get spirit results. It doesn't work that way. If you're not setting aside your own self-importance or your pride or your conceit to look to the needs of others, don't expect to see spiritual change in the midst of that. You cannot expect to sow jealousy and envy in the body, in the body of Christ, but also in your life, and not reap bitterness. You can't engage in sexual sins without it resulting in painful relationships. You can't engage in worshiping something other than God and not be left without emptiness. You can't be involved in strife and dissensions in the body without there being discord and brokenness. This is the spiritual law that God set up. I prayed about this. I wasn't sure if I was going to say it or not, but I'm going to talk about it because I just mentioned to you that on Saturdays there's a time of prayer for our body for this transition that's about to take place. But this is a time that I would submit is ripe for that last one. There can be strife and dissensions and backbiting or discord that can take place during a period of transition. And so if we get engaged in that, if we see a brother engaged in that, I would encourage us to try to restore that brother. But if you see that going on or you take part of that, don't expect that the result wouldn't be discord and brokenness because that will be the result of that. Instead, Paul talks about sowing into others and what that looks like. So the fruit of the Spirit that Sean talked about last week, and you can look at the entire list in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but you see that if you're sowing love and kindness and patience into others, you can see restoration in their lives. If the fruit of the Spirit is working in your life, you see restoration. If you have love and kindness and patience, you can see burdens lifted in others. If you have love, kind, joy, generosity, 
you can see the good news spread because you're investing in ministers and you're investing in sharing all good things with those who share the good news and you can see it spread to others. God promises us that if we sow to the Spirit, that we will reap a harvest, a spiritual harvest. So all the things that we talked about previously come about by walking by the Spirit and using the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit that He gives to us. Paul leaves us with this encouragement. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So be patient for the harvest. God's faithful to his word. If you sow to the spirit in due time, we will see a harvest and don't give up, don't grow weary. So if you have a brother or sister in Christ that's going through something, continue to pray, continue to speak the gospel in their life. If you have a co-worker, don't give up. Continue to speak the gospel and pray for them. Don't cease doing good because you see injustice or unfairness. So easy we can get bitter and envious and angry about injustice. But instead of that, which we will, we will reap bitterness, sow love. So patience, so kindness. And we'll see the fruit of that. We don't always see what's going on in the spiritual, but we do know that God is faithful to his word. So just an encouragement. I know there's a lot of SGLs in here. There's a lot of Awana workers in here. Um, those people who deal with kids, teenagers, it can seem like week in and week out that you're just like, might as well go ahead and beat your head against the, the, the wall. You're not seeing a whole lot. You're not seeing a whole lot of fruit. But the same thing that says God will not be mocked is the same thing that applies to reaping and sowing with the flesh, but it's the same thing. God won't be mocked as it relates to reaping a spiritual harvest if we do not give up. So we may not see it right now, so especially with kids, teenagers, sometimes you just don't see the fruit of what you're investing into them. But you will see it. God promises that. So let's look for ways to bless others and be others-oriented, less self-indulgent and focused on the needs of others, just like the, Jesus did for us. So I want to end up by saying and talking about Jesus. Because that's who this is about. Jesus sowed into us. He is the preeminent restorer. He is the preeminent burden bearer. And he is the preeminent generous giver. We should walk in humility with others because we were the ones who needed to be restored. We were the ones who had burdens we couldn't lift off of us. And we were spiritually destitute and needed a generous God. Jesus is the one who restored us. He bore all our burdens and gave himself for us. So how can we not look at a brother, see ourselves, 
walk in humility, and love them. So, main idea, spirit-led living should look like actively sowing into others. Um, next week is the last week of Galatians. Um, Pastor Curdy will wrap us up. He always does the first and the last, and so he'll be with us next week uh, for the last part of chapter 6, and that will be the end of our study of Galatians. Love you guys. God bless.